1: Now, when we go through the scriptures, we often hear about the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and so we might conclude that these guys were friendly. Actually, nothing could be further from the truth under normal circumstances. They were adversaries.
0: However, individually, they had a common adversary, and that was Jesus Christ. And we'll learn more about that adversarial role between the Pharisees and the Sadducees and Jesus Christ on today's edition of Study Verse by Verse as Pastor Leighton Sheely from Church of the Highlands in San Bruno takes us through the book of John. I think if you turn to the seventh chapter, you'll be able to easily follow along. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Mike Trout. And uh, our teacher is the senior pastor at Church of the Highlands. Details about the church are on the web at highlands.us. That's highlands.us.
1: The Pharisees believed that the only way you could please God was by keeping all kinds of rules and regulations. And so that's how they lived their lives. The Sadducees were on the other end of the spectrum. They didn't really care about pleasing God at all because they didn't believe in the life hereafter All they believed in was this life, you might as well get as much as you can out of it. And so they were involved in religion, not for any relationship with God, but just so that they could turn it into a big business and make a fortune from it. They were at opposite ends of the spectrum. They, under normal circumstances, hated each other. But they hated Jesus more. And so those who were enemies came together to work against Christ and his kingdom. By the way, we're seeing that happen now, again, where the enemies of Christ and Christ's kingdom, who would normally hate each other and sometimes even kill each other, are coming together as a coalition in order to suppress the knowledge of God. So the Pharisees joined with the Sadducees and sent the temple priests, who were Levites responsible for maintaining order on the temple grounds. And it was probable that they sent them with the command to arrest Jesus in an opportune moment. Which obviously never seemed to occur to them. Verse 33, Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer and then I'm going to him who sent me. You will seek me and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. Now this passage brings us face to face with the, both the promise as well as the threat of Jesus. Elsewhere, Jesus had said, Seek me and you will find me. Here he says, You will seek me and you will not find me. The prophet Isaiah in chapter 55 wove, the, wove these two ideas together in a powerful way. He said, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Now, a man must have a care lest he become so familiar with sin that he, that he doesn't know that he is sinning and neglect God so long that he forgets that God exists because when the sense of need dies, then we do not seek. And if we do not seek, we will not find. So the one thing that we must never lose is our sense of sin and God. We should never assume that tomorrow is the day of salvation, or next week, or next month, or next year, or sometime convenient, but not now. Those who reject Jesus will never go where he is going because he's going to heaven. He's going to be at the right hand of God. And people who do not receive him as their Lord and Savior are going to die in their sins. And they're not going where he is going. Verse 35, the Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying you will seek me and you will not find me? And where I am, you cannot come. Now, John, the author here, has recorded a misunderstanding about the origins of Jesus, earthly origins and heavenly origins. And now he also records a misunderstanding as to the destination of Jesus as well. Now, throughout the centuries, the Jewish people have been scattered around the world, sometimes because of exile, sometimes because of circumstances. And the scholars use one term to describe Jewish people who live outside the land of Palestine, and that's the term diaspora or dispersion. And so what these people are saying is he's going to the diaspora. Is he going out somewhere else in the world? Is he going to preach to the Greeks? Is he going to try to run away so far that we don't know where to find him? Someplace else in the world. And of course, Jesus wasn't talking about that at all. Verse 37, on the last day of the feast, the great day... Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet, the spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now this is not Jesus' first invitation to believe. And it's not his first invitation a picture of salvation as living water. And by using water to illustrate the truth about himself, Jesus capitalized on a very prominent ceremony that happened during this Feast of Tabernacles. On each of the days of the feast, the the priests would go and they would draw water from the Pool of Siloam and they would carry it in a procession back to the temple and they would march around the altar and they would sing the Hillel, as Psalms 113 through 118. On the great day of the feast... If it's the seventh day, as we believe it is, then they would march around the altar, not one time, but seven times. And the idea of the water, and they would pour the water out. The idea of the water was to remind the people that as the nation of Israel went through the wilderness desert, for all of those 40 years, 2 to 3 million people, that God provided for their every need, including water in the middle of the desert. So it was a reminder of God's provision and protection upon the people. It was also a reminder of God's leading upon the people. Because on the seventh day, they would go around the altar seven times. And as the people entered into the promised land and left behind their wilderness wanderings, the first city that fell was Jericho, that they marched around seven times. And so it would also remind the people of God bringing his people to the promised land. And it's against the backdrop of this ceremony that Jesus spoke, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Righteousness is right standing before God. It's being able to stand before God. If anyone is thirsty... Let him come to me and drink. If you want to be in right standing with God, come to me. I am your provider in the wilderness, and I will lead you to the promised land, which for us as believers is heaven. Now, God did not intend believers to be stagnant ponds. Jesus said, from, he who believes in me from his innermost being will flow rivers rivers of living water believers are to be channels through which the rivers of living water are shared with others believers are not self-centered as we receive gifts from the Lord we pass it on to others we bring blessing to others Now, you notice in verse 39 the word spirit is capitalized whenever you see the word spirit capitalized in the New Testament it is a reference to the Holy Spirit The third person of the Trinity. In chapter 4, in his conversation with the Samaritan woman at the well, Jesus had referenced living water, but only here does he use that reference and explain it in terms of the Holy Spirit. Living water is not explained thus elsewhere, and so this explanation helps us understand passages like chapter 4 and other places. John, the author, the apostle, indicated, Jesus spoke of the Spirit. Now, it's important for us to note that Jesus is not suggesting here that the Holy Spirit was not present or active in the past, because the Scriptures tell us that God's Holy Spirit has been present and active in the past. Genesis 1-1, God created, the Spirit hovered, and there were certain men in the Old Testament that... ...we might describe as being indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Othniel, uh, Samson, Saul, only a handful. But something spectacular happened on the day of Pentecost. Something new and dynamic. The Apostle Peter stood and announced, "...this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel... ...and in the last days it shall be, declares the Lord... ...that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh... And your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. The last days there is a reference to the time between Jesus' first coming and his second coming. So on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was no longer limited to only certain select men but was poured out upon all flesh, even male and female slaves and servants. Something spectacular happened on the day of Pentecost. Now, Jesus was not yet glorified, as referenced here, and that's a reference to his ascension into heavenly glory. And it was only after Jesus ascended that God sent the Holy Spirit, and Acts chapter 2 took place. And since that time, all Christians, all believers, received the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation. Verse 40, when they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. So some of the people were convinced that Jesus was the prophet of whom Moses wrote about in Deuteronomy chapter 18. And some identified the prophet as a reference to the Messiah and others as, as to a forerunner. Their knowledge may not have been complete, but they were convinced that Jesus was from God. And yet others had an even more clear understanding who Jesus was. They said, this is the Christ. Now, they had been intimidated into silence earlier, but now they proclaimed it loudly. Verse 41, others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the Scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? And so there was a division among the people over him, and some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him.
0: And today, people are still uncertain about who Jesus Christ is, or are angry at him, or think they know who he is, and yet have not studied the Scripture, the Word of God. That's exactly what we do on this broadcast, or at least Pastor Layton helps us do verse-by-verse. Verse, and he's going specifically through the book of John in this particular series. If you've missed any of the past broadcasts, just check us out on the web at studyversebyverse.com. That's studyversebyverse.com. I'm Mike Trout. I hope you have a great rest of your day and can carve out enough time to join us again tomorrow right at this same time And we'll open the Word of God with Pastor Leighton Sheely from Church of the Highlands in San Bruno and study verse by verse.